Live from Bag End, this is the Rail Trains of Thought. Tim. Hey, Nick. Um, we're actually podcasting again. We are. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's. I've had about three breakfasts so far. But <laughs> we're we're very full here, and uh, yeah, if, 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 as long as we don't get too much stuff out of this fridge, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> crack the dishes, crack the plates. That's what Bill Wagon hates. Is that how it goes? <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, though, Nick, when we when we made our way as as awesome as it is here to be a bag in, we uh, forgot to bring our our nicer mic. So we're we're using an older one. Yeah, today. we're using a yes, a took mic. But hopefully, this will help keep you staying on <laughs> mic as opposed to last time when you were like off mic. Well, yeah. <laughs> So hopefully you enjoyed last episode. Yes, hopefully it made some sense to you. Yeah, and if not, uh, keep with it. Eventually it will. <laughs> hopefully you will have learned our sense of humor by now and <laughs> can tell when we're kidding and when we're not. We're not kidding right now. Okay. All right. So anyway, moving on. I guess let's just dive right in. Dive into our first segment, Story School. So today we're going to talk about beginnings. And we'd actually held off on this one for quite a while on purpose. Well, yes, on purpose. Because, you know, our first episode was about endings. So, and we always kind of said that we would end with beginnings. And we're not ending, but we thought it was a good time, end of the year, end of the second year. And we are kind of facing a transition period, which we'll talk about in the second half of the show. So you have to keep listening. Yes. But in the meantime, beginnings. And, um, you know, Nick, we'll probably talk a lot about introductions and origins and setting mm -hmm. stuff up. But also, as you know, when you're, whenever you're starting a project, especially as a writer, beginnings is always the hardest part. It's always getting the first word on paper or in your Word document that's the hardest. In some ways. Well, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe not for you. <laughs> no, well, I mean, what I mean is the start of a story is way easier than about the third page. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, just because to me, if you have an idea, you can just start writing. And uh, numerous times I've written about a page, and then I found my beginning, and I tore out that page and started again. Normally, if I have an idea, I can get started. It's not always where my beginning ends up, if that makes any sense. Sometimes I have to fish around for my beginning. Like until I actually put something on paper, I don't know exactly what the most, the latest I can start. I always like to start as late as, as, late as I can in the story. I mean, beginning... You know, once you get started, starting that next word is hard. But I think if you have an idea, I just I, words on a page sometimes is easy. Good words on a page is not necessarily right. See, I know for me sometimes I can be I can be brainstorming a story for weeks, months before I actually you know would sit down to actually begin the thing. And then the problem is you have all these ideas, but then. Forming all that to a head and actually no. making it a reality is where it becomes a real issue well, and, and, sometimes. And I, 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 I have that as well. And sometimes the problem is, and I don't know if this is so much beginning or just writing in general, is that as soon as you put a word down on paper, it suddenly is not as cool as it was in your head. <laughs> yes. Yes, this is true. I mean, suddenly, all those dreams of light and hope that you had, you put on paper and you're like, what? That's not even remotely what I wanted to say. And then from a video perspective, it's really easy to dream up stuff. But then 
there's so much involved in making something that, especially pre-production, always stresses me out. Because that's when I realize, oh man, I don't have the can, I don't have nearly enough crew to do this, or people, or you know, there's always something that you don't have in in good enough abundance to really pull off your vision. You think, and then that can, you know, you have to fight that. You have to fight that discouragement in whichever project you're working yeah. on. And I think that's the same with writing, because especially if it's something you've thought for a long time, then you write the first scene or whatever, and you're like, that's not what I want, or that's not a good enough scene, or I'm not setting up, not, you know, and then you just get bogged down trying to rework the same the same intro. Mm -hmm. And that happens sometimes. And then sometimes they can get a start. I just have an idea. I just have, oh, I'll have this guy named Strand talking to this guy named Fred, and they'll fight something. And then you're like, oh, wait, I need a plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so sometimes it's easy to get a character going or a setting or a something, you know, and then he was attacked. And, and then you have to say, okay, but why? You don't even know yet. Mm. So here's an actual question before beginnings, pre-beginnings. What do you do for a story, either video or whatever, to get, you mean, what needs to happen before you write uh, or, or film? For me, I, I mean, that's pre-production obviously is an actual thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> by the time you're in pre-production, you usually already have a script. Okay, of some that's sort. true. So that's it's a little different. But I mean, I guess for me, when I want to start writing, I usually I want to have some sort of idea of where I'm going before I start. I don't quite do as much exploratory <laughs> stuff as you do, I don't think. I mean, I've done some. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I tend to, and this is one reason why I don't write as much anymore as um, probably I, I used to or obviously nearly as much as you do because I don't know it just I like having a pretty clear vision of it before I even sit down which is not always the best thing because you do have to do a lot of the exploring when you're actually you know at the paper well I think it really depends whether you're you know people seem to be on a on a scale from very organic to very outlined pre-planned right and depending on my project it'll be different the unremarkable squire was actually all outlined because I don't know why I actually wrote outlines for like every chapter which I never, ever do. Um, and it kept, you know, and, and there was still a lot of wiggle room within, but it had a, it, in some ways then, it has one of the most uh, structured plots in some ways. That there's a very, you know, there's a, my characters go from one spot outwards and there's kind of a change in inwards and it's kind of a mirror image of itself. And, it, you know, it's all nice and, you know, literary. And in that way, it may be one of your... Um most uh, most marketable books yes. that you've done. <laughs> and then there's things like Girl Called Snort, where I just sort of... Um, Literally wrote a chapter at a time. Yeah, and, and early on, I just started it, and before it was anyone much saw it but Natasha, it was, I was, it was a paragraph serial, actually. I could write a paragraph or two at a time, and oh, then yeah. I'd ask her a question like, hey, give me a name, or give me this, and she'd give me some stuff, and we just kind of went like that. But I still think I need, even though I'm more organic than not, I still need some sort of idea that holds it together some sort of either a character that's motivates me or a theme and that's usually i tend to write a lot with this is the idea i want to convey and if the idea doesn't interest me i can't i can't write it like i can't i think i'm not a very good plot i think i can't just make a plot and write it i mean i could but i have no interest in it unless there's something it's saying or something it's illustrating and even your um outline story the unremarkable squire has a theme i mean the theme is really servanthood yeah and that came, i think that probably came out more in my writing than in the outline the outline on, honestly was half my my well, i don't know the outline but some of my thought processes i had just had this phrase of the good the bad and the ugly in my <laughs> head and i the three princesses actually uh, match up to that 
Okay. There's a good one. There's a bad one. There's an ugly one. Okay. Um, <laughs> nice. So I had I, I had weird structural things, and it was influenced by King Lear, which I just spelled his name backwards in the in the story. <laughs> um, I hadn't even caught that. <laughs> And all kinds of, I had all kinds of things that got thrown into it. And then the servanthood came out because it's not interesting to me unless there's a theme. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the outline. I like the idea. It was conceived beginnings as sort of a, a long held idea of getting, having a story about misfits. You know, I had for a long time in high school, I had this idea of like when like, you know, like a training class for like heroes, but it'd be like all these misfits that would get band together and they'd be the real heroes, you know, like the wizard who couldn't do anything and the, you know, but that was kind of a cheesy idea in some ways, but that's what structured early on Squire. And then as I got going, writing Obed, once I found him mm. and his servanthood, mm -hmm. I think that's when I could really write it. Okay. Because before it's an interesting idea, but there's nothing to grab onto except just satire, I guess. Sure. That's well. That's that might be me a good transition to talking a little bit more about um, the actual, you know, the actual story beginnings. Yeah. How do you introduce your story? Sorry. And um, in media res, and it does seem like a very helpful thing. Well, obviously, any story will have this, and how where stories will put this in their, you know, opening chapters or opening period uh, varies. But you do have to introduce your main characters in yeah. some way early on. If he's a character the audience has never heard of before, that may involve, you know, kind of the beginning of the hero's journey, putting mm -hmm. him in his own home setting, in a familiar setting, and then kind of bringing in, introducing the problems. I'm really lousy at um, doing that kind of traditional, set him in their normal setting and then take him out of it. I, <laughs> I tend to just throw him into something, what? which has its benefits of being immediate, mm -hmm. but doesn't always have the benefits of being able to see the character's reacting to the change. Which I don't know is necessary every story. Right. No, I think it does depend on the story. Some stories do work out really well starting... Isn't that called in media's res? In something like that, yeah. Something like that. When, when you start writing the center... You know, this, the classic Star Wars A New Hope. You know, you just... Right. You sit down, there's no credits, and then there's a spaceship flying over you. I know my parents were saying, you know, normally you could come five minutes late and the credits were still going. But yeah. Star Wars, you couldn't do that. Right. It's you just, were like, what? <laughs> the movie started. And then there's a battle. Yeah. And and sometimes if it's a you know that's a John that's a genre that was very innovative. Yeah. Um, sometimes if it's a genre that people are already familiar with, and it's definitely okay. Like you know when I did my uh, zombie spoof clash thing, which we'll probably talk about later, um, I just started with them running down the street, you know, running away from zombies because you know, people kind of can grasp onto that pretty yeah. quickly. And and that's a very you know TV shows you know got your cop drama. Every cop drama starts with some guy dead. Yeah. Or how he's done. No, actually, how he dies. You know, some random like yeah. X Files. I used to watch X Files all the time. Every beginning of X Files was some random person in a random creepy small town living their lives, and then something weird happens, and then he dies horribly, gorily, uh -huh. and then commercial, <laughs> or and then do do. You know, my family. We were just joking about this with uh, NCIS because we watch <laughs> we watch a lot of CBS crime shows around the house. Well, not a lot, but there are certain ones we watch, like NCIS. And with NCIS Los Angeles the other night, there's like this guy, you know, some character you've never seen before, Rich. He's talking with a buddy or something on on his uh, video phone, and then he steps out to his balcony. And so I was like, okay, guys, is it going to be a sniper bullet or is a bomb about to go off? And we were, you know, kind of guessing, and and it was a bomb. A bomb went off. <laughs> Because you knew right from the start, the, the, before they showed every episode, if you don't see one of the main characters, at least, if some person you've never seen before, before the opening credits, 
the guy is about to die, or, or they're about to find the dead body somewhere. Well, you know, this is in, especially on TV, your first, you know, the teaser, right. is all about setting up the rest of the conflict, at least the media, mm-hmm. pressing conflict. You know, someone's dead, someone's accused of murder, you know, someone's lost their child, whatever. Well, and a recurring series kind of has the benefit of you already know the main character. Yeah. So you can kind of set up the problem beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I was thinking about the Avengers movie recently. Because the neat thing about, I really love the opening of that, because it's kind of neat that it it starts off with S.H.I.E.L.D., which, you know, up until now, with all these Marvel movies, S.H.I.E.L.D. have been kind of, you know, supporting characters. Yeah. And they still are in this movie, to agree. But... This prologue starts off with, you know, at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, we only see mainly S.H.I.E.L.D. people, and then Loki shows up. And, um, but it, it kind of sets the stage for this big problem that they're going to yeah. have to deal with. And um, it's just a really exciting way. I've always liked the, um, the opening gambit, where you have, um, sometimes it's, a, it's a, like an action sequence that has nothing to do with the main plot, but sometimes yeah. it's kind of a, a prologue to the main yeah. plot. So I, I think that's always a neat thing to do well, with like, action. You know, like... Uh... Raiders of Lost Ark. I mean, the yeah. whole the whole intro is only about teaching you what does Indiana Jones do yeah. and what kind of person is he. Mm-hmm. It has nothing... I mean, it does connect kind of to the... There's Belloc. You, yeah. you introduce him too, yeah. And I think that's a very common way too to give you a scene that gets the gets the story rolling but isn't actually story yet. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sets the stage for not only who is this character but what sort of movie is this going to you know, be. Or even what sort of book, you know, or what what sort sort of book, book yeah. it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I just started, I got for my birthday, Shada. Shada? I don't know how you say it. Okay. It's a famous uh, Doctor Who episode that was never filmed, written by Douglas Adams. Oh, and they wow. recently made a novelization of it. Uh-huh. I just read the first chapter. It's like three pages. That's all I had time for. Uh, but it just gets you right in. You know, it introduces the villain. He's doing something. You don't know what. But, you know, you're interested. So, and, the, and it also introduces the writing style. I think for a book that's important. Mm-hmm. That you introduce a style that hopefully will keep up or even is the best right at the beginning there sure um but it's a very very kind of humorous douglas adams style humor which i'm like awesome um, <laughs> i'm like i really like this book um you know and or sometimes in a in older novels they'll do kind of almost an overview early on mm. you got tale of two cities you know it's best times the worst you know they'll kind of you know give you the premise of the whole book because they do such big topics sometimes you know mm-hmm. you know brother Karazmov starts with an outline of the family how they're all related and what their you know personalities are, so that you can kind of hit the ground running and guess. <laughs> well, like, and because some movies do that too, they'll start with a narration kind of like, "This is my family." That's true. You know? Yeah, or you know, even the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, the talk about the the rings of power sort of thing. Or what were they just watching? Oh, Hunger Games. We watched the riff tracks for, of Hunger Games. Uh, you have to oh say, yeah, really, really good. <laughs> but they're like they were making a joke about. Should we have to read the movie? Be at the beginning, they do the the, the text of you know <laughs> what the Hunger Games are all about. Even okay, though, they, even, yeah. though, even though later they then do the video of it. Yeah. So I don't know why they have to do the text at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that is but, kind of funny. You know, but they want to set up the world. I mean, setting up right. What is this genre? What is this world? Where is this? Getting all those, and that's the fun part. Well, the interesting part. You want to get all these basic things done quickly, interestingly, mm-hmm. without apparently. I, I'm not necessarily one of these people, I don't think. But I know people say that beginning writers didn't just take 20 pages to get the plot started. Like, uh-huh. they'll just like people saying, Dr. Hensley, my writing teacher, say, he'd read things where, like, people just come and say, hi, how are you doing? You know, they just have conversations about nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess the author is trying to figure out what they're doing. Uh-huh. Which I, I never could do that because I get bored if I'm not doing something interesting. 
that kind of reminds me of um, when I tried to try to start this one Randy Alcorn book, which I know you read. You've read at least one Randy yeah. Alcorn book. I tried starting this book called Deadline, which I know my parents really enjoyed, but I couldn't get past like the first two chapters because they started with like this giant information dump, is what mm. it, it, yeah. what it felt like to me. Which I mean, I guess. Dickens that that works, but in this case, it felt like they were, if it make it interesting, you can yeah, and, it, and it's you know old right. <laughs> well, it's old. It's classic. You feel yeah. like an uh, obligation to read it. It's a different style. You just accept it. Yeah, yeah but I mean, look, like I think it was talking about this this car accident or something, and this guy was remembering like everything he knew, but like his two best friends or something, and it was just like. This is a lot of information to yeah. try to just. I, I would rather learn all this organically rather than you just kind of telling me. It. Yeah, and and that's the trick, especially in a longer big book. What you introduce, what's necessary to introduce right away, and what can you fill in later, mm-hmm. or even like long term shows that have a you know overall art. You know how much you need really need to know early on. That's true. I mean, think about Lost. While we have we have a plane crash, yeah. there are people in that are desperately that are yeah for right fifteen minutes. I probably said this in the podcast before, but the the first fifteen minutes of the pilot loss is one of the best fifteen minutes of TV. Yeah, I I've watched it numerous times. I'm always <laughs> fascinated by it, and because it's all and the, what's fascinating is how well they they give you just little tiny hints of all the people. Because there's a lot of castaways, but you don't hear, you don't get much of any of them. Mm-hmm. It's not like they feel compelled like in a disaster movie. You know, disaster yeah. movie. You spend the first half hour like, let's see this person take his kid to school, so you can see that he has a child, and see this person mm-hmm. who's a businessman, see that he's you know he's a horrible person, and right, you know, it's like no, you're there at the scene of the accident. We'll fill in the details and, of who these people and are. And they later. have the flashbacks, which help. Right. I mean, the the whole structure, is, and they they know they have a long you know a whole season yeah. to develop these characters. Yeah, there's some movies where you know the first twenty minutes is just yeah. In, and sometimes they do it really well, like Ocean's Eleven. Okay. They introduce mm-hmm. all those, uh, all the eleven people very quickly, very smoothly, very, very cleverly. I mean, when they're casting the people, you know, it just goes real quick, and you're like, oh, okay, so they can get on with the plot. Right. You know, you've got to introduce all these different people, but you don't want to spend half hour doing it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about we've talked about character introduction, talked about kind of setting up the world that you're going to be in, an opening kind and of. I, and I really think the style. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to make it feel like it's a contemporary novel and suddenly, you know, halfway through it's a, you know, supernatural stuff. Unless... Unless you really, you're go- really going for that. Unless you're really going for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, rewriting style hopefully should be, you know. If it's going to be a narrator talking to his kid, start early on and don't try to pull the whole, like, you know, talking to the audience thing halfway through. Here's a question for you. And this goes into more like origin stuff yeah. i guess because we've been talking about you know how, so how some new writers will try their opening scenes they're trying to you know learn their characters on oh, yeah. their own sort of thing yeah have you ever retroactively inserted backstory into a character like you didn't know that this is part of a character's past oh yeah and then later it came up that like this is part of his past so string and fred which is probably my most organic story in many ways because uh-huh. it just it's never really had an outline except in my head and early on it didn't have an outline yeah, I made a whole characters uh, have probably the one that uh, someone could accuse me the most of being unfair, or you didn't really you, you didn't set that up at all. Would be um, one of the Korea, one of the servants of the Empress in book two mm-hmm. uh, is revealed to be the Empress's sister. Oh, I do vaguely remember that. Yeah, um, it's been a while since I read yeah, book two, which is not a big. I mean, it's a minor character, and it plays, I think, emotionally really well into. It's not surprising emotionally because all these Korea are very 
close. Um, very close, and this is her favorite wine. So it's not surprising per se, but I just made that up. You know, it just it just seemed natural at the time. Hmm. You know, it's probably probably a horrible, you know. You know <laughs> Dr. Hensley will come and berate you now. See, this is where, you know, something like on TV you can get away with that. Because partly it's a, TV is organic by nature. Right, right. You know, and comic books and stuff like that. I mean, you don't want to do retcons if you can help it. You know, where you're like, oh, I didn't really mean that. Yeah. Um, yes. And occasionally, yes. I don't. I don't think I've done that yet <laughs> because generally when I write a character even if I haven't and this is because I didn't write very character oriented like I when I write a character I never do an outline of a character I never write their personality down or anything mm -hmm. but I have a kind of a an innate feel for what they would do and sometimes when they're in a new situation I find new parts of the character but seem I think I'm pretty good about being internally consistent within the character okay so even when I pull something new out that I never really mentioned I feel like it's natural to the character. Okay. If that makes sense. I think so. Again, you can, you, you know, I critics can argue me. But <laughs> I so that's, that, that's... That's my biggest... I think that's the one I've done it... Yeah, but I don't think I've ever done it with anyone else. No, I don't think so. Not even think of offhand. Just curious. That story was... Project, I don't think we ever pulled anything. No, no. We... The big secrets we had planned for Story Project. Yeah, we did plan... I, and I like to plan... Half plan, half... Yeah. See the pants. Yeah. Now, origin people like origin stories, though. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like star. I don't like starting at the beginning of anything. I like starting in the middle of things. Oh, I see. Okay, at the um, very beginning. You know, bug ahead. You know, I'm <laughs> riding a I'm riding a rocket. You know, <laughs> well, I've been working on Sorzo, which right. is this barbarian story we wrote for this Pulp Fiction contest we've mentioned before. Uh -huh. Not contest, but project. Project. But it's, it starts with him basically emerging from the belly of a dinosaur that he had been kind of. <laughs> Hiding in. I remember that introduction. It was like anything unlike you've had read from me before. It was like all gross and. But the thing is, actually, no. I take that back. It, I suppose the closest thing would be that mound. Oh, that mound. The in, mound in, and, and Fred. Yeah. yeah the, but I guess the what I find interesting is that where the story starts really is that Sorsum at home gets this dream and then he leaves home and travels to find the person who called him. Where the story actually starts is him almost there having already gone through most of his travels. So I tend to start in the middle of things and then mm -hmm. fill you in later. Because I find that more interesting. Yeah, I could do the story. I could start him waking up and doing all the travel, but I didn't find that... You could write it, but I didn't find it essential. So I didn't always start... I tend to start in, this, in the middle of things. Sure. So I, I like that, personally. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, like, Girl Called Sonora. It just starts with her leaving the house. You don't know her parents. You don't know her situation or anything. Some people think I should establish him more or something. Mm. I don't I, know what it would add. I suppose it would be kind of... I don't know. That could be an interesting addition there in that sense because, you know, she's always talking about her parents and stuff, but yeah. do you ever really see them that much? No, you never see them. Which I guess is, you know, that's an interesting twist in, in itself. Like, I mean, because, I mean, you do kind of care for her for her and her family and stuff, even though you don't yeah. know her parents and at all. You could argue either way. I, and and then on the other hand, it also kind of creates this an added feeling of mystery because you don't know why her parents did the things they did in their past yeah. and stuff like that. So, Apology to the audience for constantly referring to stories you have not read. <laughs> but unfortunately, half of my stuff is not easily readable at this point. What did you ever do with a girl called Snort isn't actually available anywhere? Right no, I, I want to do something with it, but I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I think it's certainly publishable in some manner. Right. So, but origin stories. You know, people love oh, yes. origin stories of, well, superheroes or like, you know, mm -hmm. things like, you know, the 
you watch Silent of the Lambs, and suddenly you want an origin story on Hannibal Lecter for some reason. <laughs> that people people like to know why someone became who they were, or you know, how did James Bond get started, or how right. you know, you tell the story, and then they want to know, but why that yeah. nowadays? And I don't know if that was always so big of a deal nowadays. Well, but it's a big deal. At the same time, you know, it does kind of validate what you're saying about, it also seems very modern to start kind of in the middle of things to kind of, you know, hit the ground running. Yeah. But in some ways, you know, those origin stories are more interesting after you know the character yeah. to a certain extent. Comic book characters are a little bit different because people know they've seen yeah. the pictures around, so there's yeah. a little bit of familiarity with them, even if they don't know the character very well. Yeah, but there's a lot of you know if you make a if a show goes off, then you want more stories about how did you get here, what happened, you know, yeah. who was the first person on the island. Have you, you know. have you watched any of this new show Arrow? I have not about Green Arrow. Uh, my brother has. It has. It is similar to Lost in some ways, in that it has flashbacks a lot. And the flashback, because you know he had been deserted on an island, and that's how he learned to basically be an awesome fighter and stuff. <laughs> and it's he's not alone on the island. It's not a. It looks at first like it's a castaway sort of thing. No, this was like apparently if this island was like I think a holding place for prisoners or something. Okay. So there's like this militia and stuff. There's still a lot that we haven't been revealed in the flashbacks yet. A very lost structure like that. So, Interesting. so there you have you know in the present day he's in the city being a vigilante and stuff like that. But then he flashes back to the island. Well, but I think you know, and though my preference start in the middle thing, I think that it really benefits most stories to start at the beginning as long as the beginning is close to the start of the action. Right. You know, you got your Robson Crusoe and your Treasure Island, all kinds of things, very very linear, mm-hmm. very interesting. You know, just. You have a chapter to kind of know the characters, and then something happens, and you're set. Yeah, occasionally you can you see a story where they'll like start like at some place that's close to the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and then like flashback, and then you see how they got to that spot. Yeah, well, but, those the TV episodes do that like 24 hours previously. Yeah, right. But but you don't want to overdo that sort no. of thing. You have to. I'd say you have to have a pretty good reason for it. And sometimes you can play people with the with the intro. I was just thinking Inception because they're in a. I'm trying to remember how it worked. We know they're in the dream, in the old dream, and then I remember you, and then they flash back to meeting him in the Japanese when he was younger, and then you're inside a dream, and you get out of that dream, and then you're inside another dream, so that the intro itself is introducing you to every element without having to... I mean, you see it firsthand as it's happening, while simultaneously being... Like, your mind's barely catching up with what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I, the fine line of, like, almost being confused... I, I need to. I've, I haven't seen that movie on since I saw it in the theater. Oh, okay, I, I've seen I it once since. Yeah, because I'm like I don't really remember much of the intro at all because it was so yeah borderline confusing. Yeah, second time through it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> so I think we've probably uh, yeah I think we've I think we, we've covered we our the, bases yeah. here. Yeah, and again in practice you have to find your own way, but you mm-hmm. know it's really just you know the beginnings are essential nowadays. People have no. There's so many options that if you don't yeah. get it, if you don't hit it quick, which I think is why starting in the middle of things is more common now than it was. Mm-hmm. Because unless you start quick or something interesting or some nice witty dialogue or something. Yeah, people don't have time to see the person like go through their home life and then decide to go on this this big journey. No, they want to see they want to see them right in the throes of the action. I mean, if, Nat- if possible. I, I never read Hunger Games, but Natasha read me the first chapter. I mean, she's picked in the first chapter. Yeah. I mean, you just. Within a chapter, you which, should get things. 
I mean, and I mean, actually, that would be in some ways, though, that is one, you know, she does set time. There's a bit of time of introducing her family, at least, and her relationship but what's with nice Gale. Is but they, they, they have the tension the whole time. Yes. There's kind of this undercurrent of this is going to happen later today. A good thing if you want to, you know, if you don't want to start straight in the middle, a good thing to use is tension or mystery. A sense that something's overhanging our characters. Yes. Whether it's something nefarious or just... You know, I'm late for, you know, a very important date, and you're like, yeah, that's you know, a, wondering what it is. That is an important point. Mysteries can be a very, uh, hooking your, your reader, getting them really intrigued in you what's know, if going you need on. You know, if you need a couple of chapters to get them into your world, be it so complex or because you want to show certain things, as long as you have some sense of, very early on, some sort of direction and at least some question. Mm-hmm. Beginning of Rope. First, yeah. The first shot is, you know, after the credits, is these two guys choking this dude. And, and then, like, then they stuff him in a chest and talk about the dinner. And you're, yeah, like, you're like, what? What is, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it's a great. And then it slowly and yeah. you know, because then they do the exposition. Because honestly, if you hook them, you can do exposition forever after that. <laughs> That's true. I mean, people did put up with it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, Skyfall yet? I have not. I would like to. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that has a nice opening gambit of action, but then it ends like right before the opening credits. Ends with you know James Bond falling off this train and seemingly to his death, which you know it's not really to his death. <laughs> Short be- movie, beginning of the James Bond movie, but still you're like it's oh, good. Yeah, it's good. it hooks you. So hopefully you're hooked now and you'll listen through the rest of this episode now that we're actually halfway through it. <laughs> it's kind of a long beginning. Yeah. Well, what is it? <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll go on to our next segment, which will be soundtrack. For soundtrack today, I decided to pick a remix from Final Fantasy IV, technically, those in like every Final Fantasy known to man. <laughs> um, it's that uh, that kind of um, what's the, I don't know what the official title is, but the, they play it's the prologue the music. Pre- it's not prelude. That, I think. No, it's not prelude. It's not prelude. It's, no, it's the other intro music. The da 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 da. Oh, oh. They do they do it in Final Fantasy IV in the beginning credits. Oh, okay. Sometimes they do that at the end. So I guess nowadays they do it at the end. Yeah. I don't remember. In Kingdom Hearts, it's like it's called like March Caprice for piano or something. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's just that version. Yeah, I think it. I think it. Anyways, I think it's called. I think it's called Prologue in for Final Fantasy IV. Okay. Which is where this is from? Because you do your little intro, and then it's the credits. They, you know, like they do it like a movie. You uh-huh. know. Mm-hmm. And then you start the rest of the game. Sure. So uh, this is a remix from that. It's called Anna Prologue. Because it's analog and prologue. Because it's done very 80s. Um, and it's remixed by another sound scheme. So, enjoy.
and we're back. Hi, hopefully you enjoyed that. Yes. And now it is time for our next segment. What if? All right, so everyone on the internet is probably speculating about this, so we figured, hey, let's do it too. We've talked about Star Wars often enough in this podcast. We have to talk about Disney buying Star Wars. Yes. And mainly, what if some of our uh, favorite directors, or maybe not so favorite directors, <laughs> would direct the new movie? The new That's Star apparently Wars movie. coming out in 2001. 15? 15, I think is right. Wow. So, yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. We started off this year never thinking we'd see another Star Wars movie, at least not until not as long as George Lucas was alive. Yeah. And suddenly. And no Admiral Thrawn. It's happening. And <laughs> no Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> anyway, so let's not speculate about what they're going to talk about, what the movie yeah. will be about. Well, except for depend, uh, they'll depend, depend on, on the director. director. <laughs> so there have been a lot of names thrown around. Some of, yeah. them, some of them have already said no. <laughs> um, I've actually heard anyone who said no. Wait, someone said yes, didn't they? Or they said they would? Or no, that screenplay. Someone who did. Oh, yeah. Someone who... Yeah, I think that, yeah, they've said who, who's going to do the screenplay. Someone related to Pixar, wasn't it, originally? Maybe. Once Upon a Time? Maybe. Okay, I forget. I don't remember. Okay. Um, but we'll just go with, you, should we talk about, like, direct, what if some directors yeah. who we know won't be doing it? Yeah. I know Steven Spielberg said he won't. Okay. Because. It's Lucas. I mean. It's his it's friend's yeah. property. It'd be like me trying to write well, straight if if, if, <laughs> if Spielberg would do it, it'd be about a Padawan. Who's about eight, <laughs> and he's lost his parents. Yes, um, and lo- there would be aliens. Luckily, so <laughs> this is being to sound kind of like Phantom Menace. Actually, <laughs> true. Uh, Spielberg did Spielberg direct Phantom Menace? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, um, what else would he? I don't. Actually, it's kind of hard for me now, to pin Spielberg down. I, that's actually, true. He is. I, I mean, he's all over the place. I would. I would say that I think probably a big part of it would be about um, Luke would be trying to mentor his son. Okay, yeah. Because you have to have the father-son relationship. Yeah. That's a yeah. big part of it. Um, but other than and that... And questioning why why do we, why do are we even still fighting this war? <laughs> and there'd be some really brutal action scenes, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, Saving Private Ryan sort of Jedi battles. Yeah. But it would be very heartwarming in the end. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's Star Wars. And Tom Spielberg Hanks again. somewhere. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to the Star Wars? That'd be... Yeah, that does not compute. <laughs> I wouldn't say that about ja- Samuel Jackson either, but... <laughs> well, okay. I don't Samuel Jackson, I think you can plug into almost any franchise now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, he was in Avengers. He can go ahead and move over to another Disney thing now. Yeah, why not? So, so all right. Well, speaking he, of... He is hard to pin down, but it would be... Yeah, because he does all kinds. I mean, he... There might be more Ewoks. There might be more Ewoks. I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, the only thing you the can thing really is, pin it, down... It really depends on what what he's feeling like. Whether he feels like doing an old school himself, or whether he feels like doing a historical... Yeah, historical or, or like a, Or one or, of yeah. his, like, crazy war ones. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I feel like for a Star Wars genre, he would stay pretty true to he his old self. might do more Indiana Jones-ish. More adventure, more heartwarming. So maybe, maybe like a, like Indiana Jones in space? Yeah, I can see. I Honestly, I think Spielberg would have been a really cool pick for it, but I, I can understand why he did. Yeah. Since we were just talking about Avengers, what do you think about Josh Whedon? I see, I don't know about Josh Whedon. I, I, he does a great, he did a great job with Avengers. Yes. 
you know, Firefly is great. I haven't watched much Buffy, but see, I'd be, but I, I, I would be afraid that he would like try to kill off Han Solo in like the first twenty well, minutes of the, the movie. Thing, they're not going to have any of the old people in it, or they're going to be old. Well, th some people have thought that maybe it would be about them kind of passing it on to okay. the next generation. Well, they, they were, I mean, I guess he could kill them in some tragic, you know. Yeah, which, honestly, I would be okay at that point. Yeah. I mean, it'd be sad, but it'd be yeah. okay. It'd be okay. And I think probably Harrison Ford would advocate for it. Because <laughs> I know, he, I think he wanted to kill Han Solo off in their turn. But there, the Jedi, there might be, but... I don't actually know enough about Josh, we but I, I wonder whether it would turn... I feel like it tried it tried to be too edgy in some ways. Yeah, and yeah, and I'm not sure Star. Well, you could argue whether it needs to be edgy or not. Yeah, but I, I feel like what it needs is like Spielberg would do to it more good old adventure sort of yeah. stuff. You need and, and high stakes and stuff. And Josh Whedon can do mm -hmm. high stakes, and you know he has a pretty good sense of that's true. And he did do. I mean, he did do a kind of old fashioned in some good ways with the Avengers too. Yeah. I mean, they even said as much in the movie. So, I don't know, maybe, but I'm... I mean, he's pretty good at using other people's characters in, in yeah, respectful we, ways. we've seen that now. But um, we wouldn't use a lot of... We'd be using new characters. Yeah, and that's where it could get No, tricky. it would probably... It might be a little more uh, snarky than mm -hmm. Star Wars normally is. And you might have a bit... You might have some more uh, female characters that do some, you know, pretty bold stuff on their own. You know, who can kick butt and stuff. Yeah. Summer. Some, some good, decent or, what, Wait, what, what, what's her, what is her name? Oh, Summer Glau? Summer Glau. That's or a, River Song. Or no, that's, a, that's the actress's name. Yeah. Is it River Song? Is that No, um, it is River. It's not River Song. Yeah, that, I got confused, yeah. Yeah, it's River, River Tam, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's River her Tam. name. Yeah. From Firefly. Yeah. Or Dollhouse. Yeah. Well, Summer, yeah. Yeah. The actress is in that. <laughs> The actress's name is Summer. Yeah, Glenn. I know. So. It's, it's so, some sort of seasonal haiku sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anywho, next director. Um, well, Christopher Nolan. People in Christopher. It would become a massive puzzle. It would be. A <laughs> I'm not, okay. I'm not sure it would have the the. It would have the feel of Star Wars, but it would be an awesome movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, and the thing is, there would be more. There'd be a lot less green screen. Probably because he doesn't use that mm -hmm. much. Maybe he, maybe it'd be a lot more in like on location stuff, and which would be kind of cool. It could be interesting, you know, another Tatooine or. Well, I mean, maybe I, not Tatooine. I guess, maybe I a, guess you could take like the you know the whole Phantom Menace thing where you know it's actually the Emperor behind the you know or like you know the whole prequels about the Emperor moving pieces. It'd be like that, but like three times inside, and you probably have like four streams within four streams. <laughs> You know, and and gambits of emperors trying to fix each other, and, and the yeah. Jedi would make some would make some pretty serious mistakes, and there'd be some moral ambiguity in some ways. Yeah, but and and every side would feel like even if they're wrong, like they had something to, they were. You they, had, know, they had a point. They had a point. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> it could be interesting. I'm not sure it'd still be Star Wars. But, I mean, <laughs> exactly. and it would. The thing with Star Wars is, is that the point now? It could be anything. It can almost. be anything. Yeah. The Star Wars is now a world, a universe, mm -hmm. and not so much a style. But the movies still have always yeah, had a certain it's style. Tricky. Yeah, there you have your different different Star Wars novels can have different feels, but it does seem like that's gonna be the really hard thing about this. The movies themselves feel like they should have a certain style to them. Yeah. More of a a, a space a, opera. A space opera, yeah. You want you want some um, Star Wars shouldn't feel like Farscape, or yeah. Battlestar Galactica, or Stargate. Or even Babylon 5. Or even Babylon 5, yeah. It should feel like Star Wars. Yeah, and, and that's the trick. Yeah, that's the trick, no matter what director they do, go with. To keep that feeling while making it new. Mm -hmm. Personally, 
I don't. I think he's already said he wouldn't do it, but I would love to see Brad Bird do it. Um, yeah, I threw out Andrew Stanton after. Yeah, yeah. After to, John Carter. To yeah, John, yeah, John Carter. Carter felt like a space opera. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a star. Like it could have been a Star Wars esque movie, right? Especially twenty years ago. And Brad Bird just did a phenomenal job with Mission Impossible: yeah. Ghost yes. Protocol. So I mean, you know, he's shown there that he can't. Not only can he do great original stuff, you know, in Pixar, it's but that, also through well, and and Star Wars properties. is. I mean, especially the original movies that really are set pieces, mm-hmm. like like Mission Impossible was. Yeah, you have to understand the genre to do well, it. Well, right. you know, because it's. I mean, almost all those movies are set up, and we do this here, and then we move location, and then we do this here. You know, Return of the Jedi is two movies. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Empire Strikes Back is three. You know, it's it's um, Hoth, and then it's Dagobah, and then it's Cloud mm-hmm. City. Although Dagobah and Cloud City are kind of intermingled. That's true. I mean, so. but. But yeah, Hoth is separate, kind of separate from the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Feel, I mean, it's like a whole TV episode. Even the even A New Hope is kind of that way. I mean, it takes them a long time to get off Tatooine. I didn't really, you don't really think about that. And, and maybe sometimes. that's you know, and I, I haven't analyzed the new movies in the same way. But there's something very space opera-y and, and old school serial about having very location episodic centric. Mm-hmm. sections in a movie like that. I guess episode three did it to an extent. I mean, you had the the, op- the openings the, all in the, the opening gamut on the spaceship and then crashing into the planet. And then, you know, to an extent, then you had Obi-Wan. Well, even episode two is kind of, it's all Coruscant and then it's Kamino mm-hmm. and then it's uh, Genosa. Yeah. Yeah. It is all about the location, isn't it? Geonosis. It's kind of, it, I mean, Geonosis. It's, I mean, it's kind of James Bond in a, yeah, manner. I'm not sure that I thought of it in that sense, like locations based. But, but it is but very, yeah. at least the movies have always been very heavily location centric. Mm-hmm. Because that's they have such powerful personalities, especially in the, well, in all of them. How weird would it be to have a Star Wars movie that took place all on one planet? Yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't feel like Star Wars. Not not as, not a movie. Not in the movie. Yeah, no. they've done books. And comics. Some with better success than others. But. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that is something. You need someone who can do that okay speaking of peter jackson peter jackson would be an interesting choice <laughs> it would be four hours it would be four <laughs> and, and eight movies we, we, and and the extended editions would be twice as long well and he's the only person who might also rework his own movies often george lucas <laughs> you carry the torch in that way <laughs> i mean as far as as far as uh, cgi goes he's probably the most the most versed in it, yeah. In I mean, some ways, he, yeah. He's, he's the most similar to Lo- Lucas in this sort of pushing the boundary. Him and Cam- Kirk, uh, um, Kirk Cameron, yeah. yeah. No, Although, not Kirk Cameron, that's the actor. <laughs> right, uh, uh, James, James, Cameron. Cameron, James Cameron, yeah. Um, but the other advantage there is that Peter Jackson also still values uh, locations really well. Yeah. So Peter Jackson could be actually a pretty interesting If he choice. wasn't set up for three movies. Uh, yeah. Well, he's probably already filmed them all, though, hasn't he? I suppose, but then you know they, they take so much post, and, and yeah, take a lot of post production time. Plus, you know, they originally filmed two movies, and they're like, "Hey, let's make a third. Yeah. So I'm sure they have to do a lot of pickup stuff yeah. that they hadn't planned for originally, which is a strange situation. Yeah. So speaking of James Cameron, okay, I don't know. It, don't it know. would all be CGI. <laughs> yeah. I don't think James. I don't think plot would be a big deal then. <laughs> Okay, I, I feel like we've bashed Avatar before. I know, I'm sorry. He, he actually is an, he does an amazing job with this, with what he does. Yes. I mean, Terminator, mm-hmm. Titan. I mean, I don't care for Titanic, but it is... Yeah, he does He does yeah. do good stuff with what he does. 
But anyway, we need gotta we gotta go on to the next segment here, I think. Oh, so we're running out of time here. Yeah, so Okay, wait, wait, one, one more, more, one okay. more. Miyazaki. Oh man. I would love me. <laughs> so it would all be not CG animated, but the hand drawn. Well yeah. Yeah. We're going for it. Oh my. Because he could capture some of the... I'd love to see what aliens he could come up yeah. with. Some of the creatures. The problem is... I think he... It, it'd, be, it'd be kind of like Prince Monoke in space. Mm-hmm. Thing is, I, I feel like people who didn't like Ewoks taking down the Empire wouldn't like the Miyazaki version either, because it would all be about nature overthrowing uh, the But see, uh, see, Miyazaki, even though people don't like Ewoks, would like Miyazaki. Okay, so maybe maybe the Miyazaki would make Ewoks cool. Though. Yeah, he yeah he makes everything cool. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> you know, Tortoro, I mean, he's a giant Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Okay, so that's uh, Miyazaki. Miyazaki. <laughs> yeah, you've got the Disney connection right there. There we go. Yeah, there we go. We got it. That'd, okay. be, that'd be perfect. We got it. Okay. So, and actually, and I'll, I will throw this out here too. This makes the perfect opportunity now that Disney has Star Wars for uh, Yoda to hang out with Fozzie Bear. That would be fabulous. That would be fabulous. It's been long overdue. They've hung out with other other Star Wars characters. But I, yeah, they need to hang out with Yoda. Yeah, they need, they need to get Yoda. I agree. All right. All right. Now for our next segment. Sorry, that what if was not quite as funny as normal, but... <laughs> but it was entertaining. It was entertaining, yeah. And I wish I had more time. Yes. But we got to get going here. Because we have a very important project update. So, it's been a while since we've done this, and we have a lot of stuff to talk yes. to you about. Well, what do we want to talk about first? Well, I, I can't remember if we talked about Unremarkable Squire. We've mentioned it, so I'll say it one more time. Unremarkable Squire is a novel, which you've heard way too much about this episode, that's getting published. Publication date is still uncertain. I've had some... My, my copy editor um, has had uh, family sicknesses and stuff, and so things have been kind of delayed. But it's a, it's a very entertaining novel about this squire who... It just kind of chose on random, very boring personality. Gets tied up into it's kind of it's kind of like a unlikely hero comedy thing mm-hmm. with some extra weight to it. Yep, you're still aiming for winter. I, I think so. Again, uh, it could change. I don't know. Okay, so that's yeah, that's something exciting to be looking forward yeah. to. I know we haven't had a chance to talk about it on here just because our recording schedule and the posting <laughs> schedule has been kind of out of whack because yeah. of my job kept me bit his. New job doing media and stuff. I know I've talked about that on here, and which has been, it's been great. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should go check out our YouTube channel. Just yep. for, search for Archery Tag on There's YouTube. There's some fun stuff there. And make sure you check out Zombie Clash. Did a little zombie spoof featuring Archery Tag, which I, I can't. I was reasonably happy with. There's some parts I wish I were different. I'm reasonably happy with and go watch it and inflate the views because uh, my boss keeps rubbing it in that since then since we put put that up we put a video of his daughter knocking shooting an apple off his head uh, with archery tag arrows and that's already gotten more views than my zombie thing which <laughs> took way longer to do make and produce old Hollywood saying yeah. never never work with little kids <laughs> they'll always upstage you but anywho well um, I also need to mention we have a kind of an unofficial sister. Vlog. Vlog going. Um, our friend Nathan Marshan, who, who, who's recently listened to all of them, said that apparently we've mentioned him in like every episode now. <laughs> a lot, anyway. Um, he has a vlog on YouTube called But I Digress, talking about various uh, writing-related things. Stuff. Much like this, what we do here. So yeah. And he's he just, just starting. I think it'd be worth hunting him down. 
Yep, definitely check that out. He mentions us, so it's got to be good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's that's kind of a few things. Oh, and then coming next spring, Coming soon to DVD near you. This is something that we've hinted at for a while because it's been in development this <sighs> entire year. Yeah, it's been taking... Pre-production has gone on quite a while. Yes, which we knew it would. Um, we had hoped, I think, at some point to, to release in January, but we decided to hold off on that yeah. for a little bit. I think we're aiming for March now. Well, April 1st. April. April. Yeah. Okay. So Second quarter. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a web fiction series. It's called Children of the Wells. And um, it's it w- a... Go ahead. It will be kind of a... Well, it's a kind of a modern... How do you want to describe it? Modern fantasy, post-apocalyptic, modern post-apocalyptic fantasy. Yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. It's like it's a it's a world that's a kind of modern tech level, but they they got there differently through use of magic. Magic is based around these wells, and it's about five percent of the population use magic. So they've created batteries and electricity related things, similar things with magic, and then the belt wells basically die, disappear. Yeah. So kind of think the revolution, or not the revolution. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> think revolution is in the TV show, yeah. but with magic is, and it takes place like right as it happens, yeah. as opposed to 15 years later. And it'll be a series, it won't be a, it won't be like one novel, it'll be a series of novellas. Yes. That will, so it's, it's episodic, it's kind of like writing TV episodes mm-hmm. online. Which, although, you know, they'll be premiering like a chapter a week. Yeah. And I think I think we've got some interesting stuff planned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have a, we have a very cool world um, developed, and we're hoping some, to some get, interesting characters going. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to get a lot of writers involved with yeah, it. Yeah, we hope it to be a shared world, like we always talk about Star Wars. But hopefully, we would like other people to play in the world. Yes. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> you'll see multiple names as we get going. And if that's something that interests you, drop us a line, let us know, and yeah. uh, maybe we can get you plugged in. So be looking forward to that coming up in April first. Uh, in theory, hopefully, yes. yeah. Hopefully, we're gonna assume, we're, we're gonna do it. Yeah, <laughs> we're working on some graphics and stuff now. Yes, web stuff, web stuff. Final bit of updates is this podcast, and you may have noticed that our update schedule is kind of slackened as of yeah. Late. It's it's been just a slightly less, uh, more time in between than you might have been normal. Right, it's gone from every every two weeks to every month to every. Fortnite, <laughs> yeah. every blue moon, and so we realize it's kind of it's kind of become an issue. Um, so we're hoping to do some retooling soon. So that may mean you see some different kinds of episodes coming next year. We're still kind of trying to figure stuff out. It will. Our plans continue it, but mm-hmm. possibly in a different guise. Either we're throwing all, out all kinds of ideas. Different length episodes, splitting episodes, and do I don't. Know, we don't know parts. Yeah, we're. So bear with us, we'll experiment. This this might be the last episode of this particular format that we've done it for a while, this length. Um, and while we're at it, I guess, if you have segments you either, we haven't done for a while, like cinema selections. Sorry, Brian. Um, or other types of things you would like to see. I mean, since we're changing things, there's stuff we can add. or yeah, We've considered doing you know literary reviews more often. Mm-hmm. We've considered you know other things like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, now's the time to add and ask and see what we can come up with. Yeah. So Because there's all kinds of things we like to do with this podcast. It's just right now it's an issue of time. Yeah. Because <laughs> Nick doesn't have any time to edit because he's got a job and writing and kids. And, and, and teaching. And, and it's just, it's gotten much trickier Children for me. of the Wells. Yeah, and, ch- <laughs> and children developing a whole other thing. And it's gotten trickier for me with a full-time job where I edit media anyway. So yeah, I don't have much incentive to do it when I go home all the time. What if you send some, some person who just loves to edit meticulously? You know, that would be awesome too. Yeah, if, 
if that's you, please let us know. <laughs> so, but we we do hope to keep derailed trains alive, even if it's in some other. Form. And even if it's taking some time for us to get there, find your favorite episode and share it with the world. Yes, let's get more people before we get going. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, this is kind of end of the year sort of looking yep. back. It's been an in- interesting 2012. Been a busy year. A lot of good stuff. Been, been a busy year. Not quite the year that we talked about last episode. But. No, no. That was our... Uh, that was our bizarro our, selves. Our bizarro selves. <laughs> <laughs> That's our sideways selves. <laughs> Another Lost reference. We haven't had that. Oh, before. yeah. I got to throw it in a couple times. I mean, come on. It's only been off the air for what, three years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys. We better get out of here. Tim will eventually pick a, a song. Okay. Well, first off... <laughs> First off, if you do have some new some have you checked the email series uh, lately? Actually, I haven't. We probably have like ten emails. We don't even know. We should check in case. Well, just in case you want to email us, and we will check. We will check it. Um, That email address is derailedtrains at gmail.com. You can go to our website, which is derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Yes, please. Um, And if you for some reason you want to hunt us down on Twitter, um, I don't know why, but we, we tend to be around there. Yeah. Nick underscore Hayden at Storyteller Frog. So you don't spell the ad. Is that Wilson? <laughs> okay. Dry humor. <laughs> All right. So Nick and I wasted a lot of time trying to find the song that I was thinking of for my soundtrack. And uh, if if I been able to track it down, I will say that the name of the song is Angel, and it's by Dark Sword, remixed from the game Sonic and Knuckles. And the reason I chose it was because it was uh, the first song on one of our story uh, song CDs. It was a CD that we put together music to inspire you to write uh, stories. And this was the first one on one of those CDs. And it's just got a really nice, mellow, jazzy feel to it. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, Have a good New Year. Happy Merry Christmas. Yep. Well, Merry Christmas if you're American. Happy Christmas if you're British. And Happy Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy anything. Happy holidays. Except Donald Merriman will get on to us if we do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Better not. Anywho, this has been Tim. (laughs) Uh, This has been Nick. And we'll see you when we see you. Um, Adios. I was trying to remember the... What was it? Aloha. That means hello and goodbye, which is good for beginnings. There you go. Aloha.